Facebook can full-on bum you out. Everybody puts that they're going to Miami or they're doing fun stuff. Smoother, younger-looking skin. Are you 25 pounds overweight, 50, 100 or more? A 30-second commercial or a glance at your newsfeed. Sometimes all it takes to begin thinking you might be missing out. Simply apply the Instant Eraser Serum to the problem area. But no matter what, you'll never feel young enough. You'll never have enough vacation time. And you'll never make enough money to find the contentment they promise. So why is this thing called contentment so elusive? Does it even exist? Contentment is not contingent upon the abundance or the lack thereof. Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We're all in search of that one thing that will bring us happiness and contentment. And this week, Charles Tapp reveals its source, but it requires some honesty and soul searching. As he shares the fourth and final part in his series, God's Good Work, Lessons from Philippians, with his message, the secret of contentment. Recently, I came across a statistic, a very alarming statistic that disturbed me quite a bit. I recently read that over 10 million individuals here in this country have plastic surgery simply for cosmetic reasons alone. Now, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand that we live in a world today, we live in an age that is plagued with the dreadful disease of discontent. Discontent meaning never really feeling quite good enough. From our print advertisements and television commercials to the lyrics and much of the popular music of our day, the gospel of dissatisfaction is being preached with great regularity and success. Truth be told, we live in an age that is no longer content with being content. The great Anglican bishop J.C. Ryle once said, there are two things that are said to be very rare sights in the world today. One is a young man who is humble, and the other is an old man that is content. And although this can largely be attributed to a culture that does an extremely good job of breeding discontentment, whether we want to admit it or not, the truth is our sinful hearts crave it. Go with me to the book of Genesis this morning, Genesis chapter 3, as we take a look at verses 1 to verse 3. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, a very familiar story, I'm sure, to most of us. Look at what God's Word says here today. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God has made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. Now look at verse 
3. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest what, everybody? Lest you die. Please don't miss this point today. Despite the fact that they had received very detailed and clear instructions from their creator, despite the fact that God had placed them in perfect conditions that had been prepared by his very hands, the seeds of discontent were able to take roots in their hearts, which ultimately bore fruit in the lives of all creation. And it began with discontent. But here's the question I am asked many times, especially by students that I teach right here on this campus at Washington Adventist University. Whenever we deal with the topic of sin and the fall, the question that always pops up is this. Why would God place the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the midst of the garden and tell them not to touch it nor to eat any fruit of it. Think about that for a moment. Some believe that God placed this tree there to tempt Adam and Eve, and I just don't believe that at all. Others believe that God was trying to tease them, and I still don't believe that. Some have even gone as far as to say, well, I believe God placed the tree there as a trap for Adam and Eve. And I disagree with all these points, amen? I don't believe God placed this tree there to tease them, to trap them, or to tempt them. But I believe God placed this tree in the midst of the garden to teach them. To teach them and to teach them three lessons in particular. Three lessons that God knew would be necessary in order for them to have their goodness protected as well as preserved. Here's the first lesson that God wanted to teach them. God wanted to show them and to demonstrate to them that although they were created in his image, that they were not God and they had limits. Amen? Just because they were created in the image of God, they could never think for a moment that they were actually God. God placed limits on them because he wanted to protect the goodness in them. Now, remember the creation story. After each creation day, God looked at his creation and said, that is good. But when he created man, he said, that is what? Very good. So God says, in order for me to protect and to preserve that goodness that I have placed in you, I've got to place limits on you. Those of us who are parents, we understand that, don't we? Don't we? Our children grow up, and as they get older, we see the forces of the world that are all around them, tempting them, trying to trap them and tease them, and we place limits on them, not because we don't care for them, but just the opposite. We want to preserve the goodness and to protect the goodness that is in them. And that's what God wanted to do. The second lesson that God wanted to teach them was the lesson of stewardship. Notice what it said. Eve told the enemy, 
God has said that, that we can eat of every tree in the garden except this one. In other words, God was teaching them the lesson, the principle that no matter what is in this world, God has reserved some things for himself. Amen? It is the same principle in the seventh day Sabbath. God says, you've got all these six days. Take care of your business. Take care of your work. But there's one day I reserve for me. God is teaching stewardship. And even in the giving of our tithes and offering, God says 90% of it, you can use that as you see fit. But that 10% is reserved for me. See, God didn't put this tree there to trap them. He placed this tree of the knowledge of good and evil because God wanted to teach them that there are some things that only God should touch. There are some things that should be reserved for God and God alone. And here's the final lesson. It's the lesson that we will focus on primarily today, and that is the lesson of contentment. God was trying to teach this new couple to be satisfied with what they had been given. Isn't that the culture we live in today where no one is satisfied with anything or anyone? God was trying to teach them to be content, to be satisfied. And why? Did God feel the need? Why did God feel the need to teach Adam and Eve, our first parents, these three lessons? Here's why. Because these are the three lessons that Lucifer failed. These are the three lessons that he broke, the three principles that he broke. And God wanted to protect them from Lucifer. You remember what it says in Isaiah? When he said, listen, I want to be like the Most High. I will ascend to the throne of God. I will sit on the mount of what? The congregation. In other words, Lucifer was inevitably saying, I refuse to allow God to place any limits on my life. In essence, he was telling God, I will not acknowledge that you are the owner and that I'm just the steward. He would not acknowledge the fact that he needed to be content in what God had given him. And because he broke all three of these, God placed this tree there so that Adam and Eve would not make the same mistake. He didn't place the tree there to trap them, to tease them, to taunt them. He placed this tree there to teach them. You see, Lucifer has been spreading these seeds of discontent. And from that point on, nothing has ever been the same again. But fear not, for there is hope. For when you read the final section, the final part of Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. Paul gives us hope, for he says, I have discovered the secret of contentment. Amen? Look at what he says here. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to verse 13. 
which is also our scripture reading for today. Look at what he says here. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Paul is talking to the believers at Philippi who were taking care of his needs while he was in prison. They, they were sending him care packages, if you please. Though you surely did care, he says, but you lacked opportunity. In other words, Paul is saying there were times you wanted to give, but the opportunity wasn't right. Paul says, I don't hold that against you. I get it. Look at verse 11. Now that I, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be what? To be content. To be content. He says, I know how to be what? Abased. And I, and I know how to be abound. Everywhere, he says, and in all things, I have learned both to be what? Full and to be hungry, both to abound and to do what? Suffer need. Here's the clincher in verse 13. He says what? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What does Paul mean when he says, I have learned what it is to be Content. This word learned in verse 12 is an interesting word. It's the only place it is found in the entire New Testament. And it gives the meaning of having gone through some type of initiation. You know, there are clubs and societies that if you want to be a member, if you want to be a part of that, you've got to go through some special rite or some initiation, right? Paul says, let's not get it twisted here today. I have learned through the school of life what it means to truly be content. In essence, Paul is saying true contentment cannot be inherited. It cannot be transferred. It can only be learned. You can't fall asleep one night and put the Bible under your head and say, God, help me to be content in the morning. It just does not work that way. He says, if you want to learn to be content, you've got to go through the initiation process, just like I did. And how, how did Paul learn the mystery, the secret of contentment? First of all, by understanding that contentment is not contingent upon the abundance or the lack thereof. For Paul says, you want to talk about abundance? Listen, I wasn't always in prison. I had abundance. I was a quote-unquote perfect Jew at one time. I had power. I had prestige. I had anything a Jew, a male Jew, would want in society. He says, but I've also been at the other end of the spectrum where I am right now, and I'm bound here in prison, where I've got to depend on a church a very poor church, by the way, to send me provisions so that I can continue to live. Paul says, I've learned that true contentment has nothing to do with how much you have. And the lack of true contentment doesn't have to do with the lack you possess as well. You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and part four of God's Good Work the secret of contentment. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. 
We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. I'm going to take a moment and just recommend that you breathe. Now, there are all kinds of breathing techniques that you can use. One is count to 10, you know, breathing in, count to 10, breathing out, kind of hold it in the middle, you know, breathing in his grace and breathing out his praise. Whatever you choose, breath is really important. And this time of year, you know, you may have a cold or you may have the flu and it's restricting your breathing. So you know just how important that is. God has given you that breath. In Acts, Paul wrote this, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else and so take a moment and take a deep breath and stay encouraged to get more encouraging content go to wgts919.com this is simple truths for life and finding contentment can be an elusive thing does it even exist Charles Tapp reveals its source with some honesty and soul searching. Let's return to the rest of his message, The Secret of Contentment. Several years ago, I told you a story when I was first introduced into ministry. For two years, I pastored a church in upstate New York. My sum, my paycheck was $500 a month. $500 a month before taxes. Now you get it. After taxes, $385.50. Somebody said, have mercy. That meant, let's put this into perspective, that meant my car payment, my rent for my room, my phone bill, my utilities, my insurance on the car. So by the time I pay all those bills, I had very little money left over, if any, for food. So food was always the last thing that I would buy. Food was a luxury. But I learned very quickly as a young, poor pastor that you need to do a lot of visitation to the members. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I had it down to a science, Dewan. I would go by at mealtime, whether it be lunch on a Sunday or during the week in the evening. And I would go like an hour or so before mealtime. And and as I would be bringing my visit to an end, I can laugh at it now, but I was crying then. I would be walking toward the door and instinctively they would say, Pastor, would would you like to stay for dinner or lunch? And I would say, oh no, well, I'll tell you, I guess I will. I can't make this stuff up. I'm not kidding you. I'm not embellishing you. Listen, there were some days all I had was Kool-Aid. That was it. Paul says, listen, I know what it is to have a great deal. I know what it is to have very little. Well, you've got to depend on people in order to make it. But Paul says, here's what I learned. That contentment is not contingent upon circumstances. But true, godly contentment transcends your circumstances. Does anybody know what I'm talking about today? In other words, Paul was simply saying, if you want true contentment, you've got to change 
your focus. He says your focus cannot be on the world. And let me just throw this little caveat in here. Everything worldly is not evil. Everything worldly is not evil. God made the world. He made the cosmos. So everything in this world is not evil. You eat food, that's of this world. You wear clothes, that's of this world. Everything in this world is not evil. But Paul says, I had to shift my focus from the materialistic things of this world and shift it heavenward. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, looking at verses 17 and 18. Look at what the apostle Paul says here. 17 and 18, Paul says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Here's the clincher in verse 18. He says, while we do not look at the things which are seen. In other words, he's saying, shift your focus from this world. Don't look at the things which are seen, but rather at the things which are what? Not seen. For the things which are seen are what? Temporary. But the things which are not seen, Paul says, there are eternal. So listen to what Paul is saying. If you really want true contentment, your focus cannot be the things of this world, whether they be good things or bad things. And if you and I are going to achieve this, our focus cannot be on the here and now only. But here's the challenge that all of us are confronted with. The media and the media's job primarily is to produce a sense of perpetual discontent in the hearts of you and me for the sole purpose of creating abundance for them. Their message is simple. That what you currently possess will never be enough. The car you drive, you must go get a newer model. Technology, the current technology that you have, if it's an iPhone 5 or if it's a 6, it's not enough, you must get the Apple Watch now. Because what you had is not enough. I have nothing against Apple Watches. Don't, don't hide your wrists now, okay? <laughs> the enemy's job through the media, notice I said the enemy's job through the media, is to present and to place in our hearts seeds of discontent so we will never think we are good enough. But here is the goal to create a sense of perpetual discontentment. Social media does this very well. You see individuals pasting their pictures and photos of, of family vacations and this celebration and that celebration, and you thought you had an all right life until you go through the page and you go, well, I guess I'm not doing all that well. You're laughing because you know it's true. You thought you were fine, then you're going, you know, I was looking the other day, and I said, man, I must not have lived a life. I did, but we didn't have social media back in the day. But now you see these photos and pictures and videos and tips. You go, I thought my life was all right. John D. Rockefeller, the famous businessman and millionaire, probably billionaire, was asked one day, how much money does it take to make 
a person happy? His response was, just a little bit more. Here's what true contentment is. Look at this quotation from the great Puritan preacher, Jeremiah Burroughs. Look at what he says about true godly contentment. He says, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, and gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every situation. In essence, Burroughs is saying that true contentment comes only when you and I are able to acknowledge the sovereignty of God, that God is ultimately in control. And that's the lesson that Paul learned. That was his initiation. He finally came to the realization that despite his circumstances, whether they be up or down, God is ultimately in control. And what I find out to be so ironic here is that Paul came to this understanding of contentment by his discontent. We talked about last week how Paul was not content with his relationship with God. He says, I have not arrived where I want to be, Philippians chapter 3. He says, I haven't made it there, but this one thing I do, I'm going to forget all that stuff that's behind me. Paul says, I'm going to press on toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I am discontent with my relationship with God. And here's the thing that I've discovered, the same thing that Paul discovered. You can't go out and buy contentment. If you want contentment, you've got to be in a state of being where you are constantly running after God. And when you get into a deeper faith relationship with God, it is then that you discover that contentment has nothing to do with what you have, but who you have. You see, God wants us to to press on in his word, to press on in worship and acknowledging his sovereignty, and to press on in our walk, which means the only way I can get true contentment, I've got to have a different mindset, a different attitude. I can't continue to focus on the things of this world because they will never be able to fill me up. Isn't that what Solomon said? He says, vanity, vanity, all this stuff at the end of the day is just plain old vanity. You will never get enough to fill you up. Some of you may be familiar with the gentleman by the name of Viktor Frankl. He was the Jew who was in a Nazi prison camp for several years, saw some of the worst atrocities known to man. One of the things he mentioned in his book after he came out of that situation was that everything can be taken from a man but one thing. Everything can be taken from a man, but one thing. And what is that one thing? To choose one's attitude in any given situation. So whether you have much or little, what's going to make the difference is the attitude that you choose. You see, the world says contentment is just giving every, getting everything that you want, everything you need. You'll never be content. God's contentment is saying, take your eyes off the world and focus on me, and the closer you get to me, the less you will want of the world. 
here's the question that we have for you today. What's your choice? Because you have no control for the most part over your circumstances and neither do I. But all of us have control over how we respond to our circumstances. And here was Paul's response. I love it. It's probably one of the most well-known verses in Scripture, but at the same time, one of the most taken out of context verses as well. Paul said in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Many believe Paul is saying that God will give me the strength to do any and everything. That's not what he's saying. Here's a clearer translation of that. It would read like this. I can endure all things through Christ who gives me strength. Why? Because my sufficiency is not in myself nor my circumstances, but my sufficiency is in Christ and Christ alone. You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and part four of God's Good Work, The Secret of Contentment. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Now here's what we're working on for next week. Whatever is the most important thing, give that thing your un divided attention. So much is competing for our attention, from work to home, even church. Next week, you won't want to miss the first of two messages from Pastor Tap to help you discover the one thing that can transform the rest of your life. With his message, The One Thing. 